0: Welcome to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. This is where we tell the stories of construction industry leaders from all across the world in hope of inspiring others to show them that anything is possible. This week I'm speaking to Leisha Mayer, the director of CSA Data Center Engineering for Microsoft. Let's get into it. Right, Leisha, thanks for taking the time to speak to us today.
1: No problem at all, Stuart. Uh, glad to be uh, glad to be on board.
0: Perfect. Well, let's let's start by just taking us back to kind of where you were brought up and sort of your childhood, really. And yeah, take us take us back to that point.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I was born in uh, the Midlands in uh, Ireland in uh, Tipperary, uh, rural Ireland. Um, we grew up in a large family. I have seven siblings. Um, so a busy busy household um, yeah. always something, always something going on um we were were very much like um steps of stairs where there's only a year or two between each of us so we we have grown up very closely together and um, we all attended the same primary school and we all attended the same secondary school um and um we played uh, a lot of tennis growing up was our one of our main sports um and basketball and soccer and a little bit of rugby here and there uh, but primarily tennis as a from a, a sports point of view um so as a teenager then are coming into the early teens i suppose my my first inclination towards a career was actually uh, to uh, be a, a vanguarder which is the irish for a female policewoman. Uh, and the, the Gardie is the uh, Irish uh, equivalent of the police. Um, but there was restrictions on, on height and, and you had to have 20-20 vision uh, at that time as well. You couldn't wear glasses. So by the time I was about 14, it became clear that I wasn't going to become a Vanguard. <laughs> I had to change tack.
0: <laughs> and um, so, so from there then, how did you kind of... What made you want to get into construction? And obviously, if you're playing a lot of sport, being a big family, do you have any? Was any family members in construction that kind of made you go that way?
1: So my father was a carpenter by trade, um, but he would ha- he did he did everything really in the building trade, other than electrician or electricity. He wouldn't do anything with electricity, but he'd lay blocks and he'd, he'd build extensions and he'd do tiling and plastering and pretty much everything. But he was a, a carpenter by trade. So as a teenager, um, he we would I would have gone working with him at weekends or on holidays and helping uh, when he'd be doing some um, jobs um, primarily around the town where we lived. Um, but really, um, I suppose I entered civil engineering on the back of um, a cousin of mine who's actually in the UK, a first cousin in the UK. He's a civil engineer and uh, that family are older than us so when we were when i was filling out the um application forms for college um my first preference was uh, computer science and um i had met that cousin for the first time actually when i was 18 uh, and he was a civil engineer as i said so uh, that's actually how i put down civil engineering as my second preference uh for going to college so that's actually how i really ended up in in construction and engineering and how does
0: I, I suppose back back then was there was there many females going into construction? And all this still, you know, this there's, there's still not a huge amount really of females going into construction these days. What was it like? What was it like when you were going, you know, starting your career?
1: Yeah, no, there, you're right. There was very few, I'm Not it, it has increased in some areas since then, but there's still some areas of engineering that have very few um very few uh, female uh, candidates entering so when i entered in the first year there was 30 in the class and there was five uh, females uh, going into second year uh, that number of five had dropped to two so only two females returned uh, there was probably I'm sure there was other um, lads who had dropped out as well we say but as a proportion when you're when you're losing a significant portion of a small number it leaves you with a very small number by the time I was in third year, I was the only girl in my class. So the, 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 there's a big problem with the number of females entering um, engineering, some of the engineering courses. Then you have a, a higher dropout rate. Uh, and of course, that kind of dropout rate or changing career path continues Um continues into the into the career where a lot of females um, don't stay with the engineering and uh, they might move into other uh, careers after so why, um, why, that why do you
0: think that is and why because you, you are right you're talking this five and then there's almost nearly a 50 percent dropout rate within the first year and then and then it's almost down to yeah minimal yeah. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I suppose these days there's a lot of career change, across, again, across the board. Most people would tell you that they have two or three careers in their lifetime. Um, I guess uh, engineering and construction, is um, it's a pretty um, busy, uh, it's always busy, it's always full on. Uh, there is a lot of stress attached to mm-hmm. it. Um, there can be early mornings, late evenings and that. Uh, over time, I think some I think many people both male and female uh, tend to change profession. A lot of engineers go into um, the financial and accounting uh, sectors um, yeah. primarily yeah. I guess because there's a high level of maths coming true in engineering um, so uh, I, I, a lot actually do go into um, banking and and accountancy actually
0: yeah um, sort of from from your career then from when you when you first started kind of i know that i've, I've obviously looked through your profile and i think that one thing that was kind of noticeable is you, your continued education from pretty much 2001 to 2019 so you've you've also done your i know we worked together before but i suppose you've had the the practical knowledge as well as the um you know the uh the actual education did you, you think it's important to have to have both
1: yeah, absolutely. I think you have to have both um, and, and I think both uh, is it, it's, it's good to run both concurrently, but continuous professional development and continuous education for, for me is a, is a number number one um, in any profession, not just engineering. But, you know, we, we live in an ever changing world. There's lots of new technology all the time and new ways of doing things. What you learn in college at 18 or 19 or 20. It isn't necessarily going to carry you all the way through now until you retire because things are ever changing and improving, um, and and software is getting better, technology looking at things differently. Um, so for me, continuous professional development is is key. Um, I suppose another reason that I've spent quite an amount of time studying while working is that when I went to college, I went to, and I did a certificate course, which is a two-year course yeah and yeah. Then i took a year out and did some work experience i went back and i did a one year diploma course so they were the only 3 years that i would have done full time in education after that i suppose i was getting older and couldn't be uh, depending on my parents to to help with with <laughs> fees and etc so i continued working full time ever since but i did my degree actually part time uh, over a number of years uh, while working full time and then i went on to do a a master's and then a, and in a master's in operations management actually. I'll come back to that. And then I did a postgraduate in project management. Um, so I think it's important as well um, to extend your knowledge and extend the areas of focus because we can get very focused in one area and then you're very kind of um, limited, I suppose, in the type of jobs that you can take on and potentially limited in promotion and advancement. And um, so the operations management was a very good course because it covered uh, a broad range of subjects that you wouldn't get in an undergraduate degree. You know, the undergraduate degree is technical mostly, whereas the operations management was around finance, accounting and um, uh, HR, um, lots of the, maybe the, the other skills that you don't get in an engineering course. And then of course, project management is very important, uh, in any, in any, even in your, in, 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 any, uh, profession, uh, project management, uh, can be very beneficial, but particularly, of course, in construction.
0: In any walk of life where really, can yeah, absolutely to manage anything, you know, and, and sticking to a schedule. Um, and what said, notice for your career, you've been up some big companies. You obviously you've been self-employed for a period as well, and obviously now you're currently, uh, C- well, director of CSA now for, for Microsoft, which is which is amazing, brilliant position uh, for the EM uh, EA region. And um, do you think from what we just discussed from obviously the continued professional development so the CPD, and then also. Um, The roles that you've taken on over the years, do you think them combined and especially the education has really helped you get to the position where you are now? Do you think without the education, you may not have reached it this far? Would you would you say it stands you for anybody listening that might be sat on the fence wondering to go and pay for that course, to go and do some late evenings? Will it do you think it definitely puts you above the next candidate to try and get into that position to do people, do clients look at that?
1: I I firmly believe that it does, um, Stuart, and I think it has um, assisted me in my career development. Um, After college I started out working for a small house builder in Cork. Uh, They were doing um, one-off housing at the time, I started off as a draftsman. Um, I then uh, moved to um, a consultancy where again I was employed as a draftsman but it was up to me, you know, until I had a degree, I wasn't, you know, I was never going to be employed as an engineer, um, irrespective of what I knew. So you do need to have the the base qualifications to begin with. Um, Investing in yourself is really important. Investing in your career is important because those are the the, the items, as you say, Stuart, that sets you apart from another candidate. Um, In terms of Progressing, if in terms of progressing into management in particular uh, and advancing, um, you do need to have the wider picture and to, to to understand business and understand how a business works and what drives the business, what's important to a business. It's not all about technical. We all, you know, we all can go to college and learn the specifics about our particular career path, but. Um, to to move into um, uh, management and operations and to get that understanding to be able to bring it all together and join all the dots you do need to have a broader um, a broader educational experience and broaden the mind and look at other areas so that you um, you're not uh, you 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 can I suppose the fear would be that if you remain in your particular career path, that you can become a little tunnel visioned and not understand the, the wider business around you and how it yeah. functions yeah. and how you function within that business.
0: And you, you spoke about quite a few different areas. And when you left and you obviously <coughs> was a draftsman for, um, for a house building firm in obviously Cork and through the years um of you working for different companies uh, small large and then to where you are today working for you know the end user the customer right um what would you say is kind of the, the the biggest mistake you've made um across your career that really sort of was character building and how did you kind of how did you come back from it <sighs>
1: Yeah, so I think um, um, in spite of what I've just said about having a broader education and broadening the mind, I still feel, looking back, that I've spent a lot of time on the technical side and, and learning about technical elements and learning even about you know business elements, and I think that my biggest um, mistake was maybe not focusing on the softer skills and focusing on people. Um, because without people um, and 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 having good relationships and work good really good working relationships with people uh, you can't get uh, you can't really get anything done because it's people that do the work not the um, not the computers or the technical answers so I probably have been overly technical in my approach to work um, whereas um, uh investing your time in people management and people skills and the softer skills is really important as well.
0: It's really crazy to really say that because the two other podcasts I've done today with uh, Jason Flannery, who's the MEP sector lead for, for John Siskin Sons, uh, and Perro Peric, who's the uh, COO of Clemo uh, Prima, which is a uh, clean room construction company that you'll know of that operate in the life science industry, both have mentioned in different parts of their talk about people skills and focusing on people and it seems like the uh, every industry but the construction industry specifically has changed over the last six years that i've been working in recruitment in it and the companies are now really recognizing i think they always have but i mean it's very out there that they recognize that the people are important and it's about you know their people and if they do get good people in the door if they look after and they retain the people they've got um then the business goes further rather than it being um you know the typical kpis of co- cost quality and you, you, so yeah. you, so i completely get where you're coming from and it's a, it's a weird trend that's just happened off, over the course of today so um yeah so it's always good to see um and if you could go back and sort of give your 18 year old self sort of one piece of advice what would you say it would be
1: um yeah I, I think i would um say to say to that person to you know it's good to be to have a career to have a focus on your career and have a, a broad plan in place um but don't let your career take over you still need to have a life outside of your career don't overdo it uh, life is short. and um, spend time outside of work i would say have at least two hobbies that forces you to finish at five o'clock every day and and, and not work weekends etc because the construction business will consume you if you let it, uh, it it's a 24-hour job if, if you wanted it to be but none of us can keep working like that ever but it always has been in my experience there's always so much to be done so you have to you have to manage your time very well be career focused um, work hard play hard really is what I'm saying. And
0: do you know what? I completely agree with you. I think one thing you start to realise, and I've only realised this at a younger age, really, I suppose, is that I, um, you know, obviously I've recruited for the construction industry, so it, it mirror matches what's expected and what's needed. And it's just ongoing. It's constant. And you can have a great month from my eyes. And these it, companies are looking for 10, 15, 16, 17, 18 people in a month. And then you work late nights until stupid o'clock and you, you'd miss time with family and everything. And then the next month, they want the same thing again. And it's just a constant cycle. So you've, you've kind of, I suppose you, you're completely right. You've got to get the balance right and you've just got to get something that works. I think we all expect there's going to be times where you have to put it in and, and there is certain times that you have to go above and beyond, but yep. it, I'm probably right by saying as well, that consi- if that's done consistent consistently, you just you end up going into a burnout situation don't you
1: you do absolutely no you know we're all human we we can only do so much and we need our downtime and uh, both the the body and the mind and the emotions need a rest and need a change uh, as they say a change is as good as a rest so that's what I'm saying about having a hobby that it forces you to to log off at five or half five and you know go and um go to your training session or, um, you know, go and uh, be a volunteer with the local kiddies football club. And um, once you're committed to something, then you'll go and do that. If you're not committed to something, you'll have a tendency to stay online and to stay, I'll just finish this, I'll just finish that. And before you know it, it's nine o'clock, you know? So, um, it's for, especially today now in, in, in the current offline uh, or online world, I should say, where many of us are still, uh or can work from home and it's great uh, in a lot of ways but we probably are all doing more hours than maybe we would have in the past if we were logging off and getting into the car and going home
0: and the mobile, wow. phone, the mobile, the
1: mobile <coughs> phone is
0: the worst because your emails <laughs> your linkedin as you know as much as we speak i know and i'm messaging you later on and naturally i think i'm just you know chilling out but you're still technically working you're actually yep. never touching off so um, it That's might strange. look like you're only doing a period of work in a day but if you con- if you're on linkedin before you start the job or you're on your emails and then you're on it at late at night you're still technically working you're not switching off. um so what do what do you do you do anything particular now then uh, i know you've your job roles changed now you're working from home full-time um with obviously with microsoft do you have hobbies that you've
1: um, I mostly, these days I have two dogs <laughs> which keep keep us busy, so we yeah. have a a, a, t- a three-year-old dog and a, a two-year-old dog, so uh, they need to get out and about, so they force us out of the house and force us to get out and do at least a walk every day and at the weekends get them to the, the doggy park to give them a good run off the lead and that, and we still have a teenage son who's big into sports, so there's always a match to be watched on, on Saturday, um, and then Sunday is typically downtime, or maybe heading to see family and, and, and friends on a Sunday, you know. So, What Sunday? my um, what what uh, My son plays rugby and Gaelic football.
0: Ah, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, do, do I dare say who he plays for?
1: Oh, he plays um, <laughs> uh, Gaelic for uh, Temple uh, Sing Street, and he plays rugby for the school.
0: Oh brilliant. Brilliant. That, that obviously you spend a lot of a lot of your weekends then obviously going to going to watch him.
1: Yeah, that's it, Jack, because there'll be often two matches. There could be a, a rugby match and a game match on the on the same day even. So
0: yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and, obviously you just mentioned about um obviously you go you 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 walk the dogs. I always I'm always very um intrigued by Especially people that have, you know, gone to high places in the careers, directors like yourself, and what their typical morning routines are like, and have they changed over the years? Because if you look at, they say success leaves clues, right? And if you go in, and if you're, a lot of people kind of have a specific routine to make them stay disciplined and in order. Do you have, do you have like a morning routine that you stick to usually? <laughs>
1: Well, I suppose my morning routine is dictated by the school run. <clears throat> um, uh, right. So has been, I suppose, for uh, uh, 14 years. So it might have been the the the, the crash in the first few years and then the school run ever since. So while these days it's somewhat easier in that I'm only dropping to a bus stop, uh, it's still a certain time that, you know, we have to be up, we have to be out yeah. uh, and then yeah. back at the house for eight or half eight ready to kind of, log on at nine o'clock I do tend not to log on before nine o'clock because you know otherwise you will you will be on all day anyway um so I suppose being organized is important you know planning ahead the night before um you know even picking out as simple as picking out what you're going to wear the next day rather than making those decisions first thing in the morning you're going to make enough decisions throughout the day um try and cut out decision-making where you can do it the evening before. We tend to do a lot of meal preparation at weekends or the evening before, so that, again, those things are sorted for the next day. So you're focused then um, between the nine to five, you can really focus on work. Having a to-do list is really important. If you can take even 10 minutes each evening before finishing up, Uh, take 10 minutes to look at where you're at, what needs to be done, what didn't you get to today? Prioritize and have a to-do list for the next day so that you're focused the next day when you start in at nine o'clock that you know you have a couple of things you have to get, you have to finish today. And then you're, there's a number of meetings perhaps that you have to go to, but your day is organized ahead. Otherwise you will be, you know, going in in the morning and you're, what will I do today? Or <laughs> you're not organized, you won't get things done, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and how do you um do you know for, for the week? Do you have I had the conversation like I said earlier, very very similar. It's crazy that uh, when you are planning, do you plan? Do you ever do any planning on a Sunday for for the week ahead? Is, or is it mainly just through the week? How do you structure it yourself?
1: Uh, I do my best not to log on now on Saturday and Sunday. I have done, I have done in the past, although you know, and, and I suppose sometimes you know an hour on a Saturday morning can be very um, fruitful. Um, But you're still logging on, so I try not to log on on Saturday or Sunday, so preferable to have a look on Friday evening before finishing up. Um, I suppose planning is three stages. There's the day-to-day, there's the week-to-week, and then there's the month-to-month. So if you can sit down uh, each month and have a look at what's coming in the month ahead and have an overall plan. And then week to week, you know, have an overall week plan, it's, it's going to change, of course it is, things are going to come up or meetings will get cancelled or something else will move or something else will come in, but if you have an overall plan, you have some hope of hitting some of those targets. Uh, and then a day to day plan. So you're kind of looking at the bigger picture on a monthly basis and then reducing that down to maybe a weekly basis, but and certainly then on a the day to day, you need to be having a look at where you are and what's your priorities, because priorities do change uh, and things do come into play that maybe weren't there yesterday, there's an emergency that needs to be dealt with, a bit of firefighting, but the more you can plan ahead, hopefully the less firefighting that you're going to be doing.
0: Yeah, I think like, it's important to have a, an, an overall game plan, but you but at the same time you've got to be quite fluid because things can change and you've you've got to you've got to adapt. But I think having no plan is where the I know from previous from not having a plan and then having <laughs> one is where the anxiety creeps in because everything yes. seems to crumble then and you and then you can imagine when you are not planned that's when everything comes in like buses, right? It's just it, it just all gets dropped on and you and you really don't know how to cope with the situation. And I think one of the biggest things i can imagine especially doing your project management course and that that's probably something that really probably helps with an organization structure i can imagine
1: yeah so from a project management point of view it's um very much focused on um you know four or five or six key areas and those kind of six key areas can be applied in any job that you do which is uh you know, cost, of course, every 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 job you're in, there's cost, schedule, quality. The three of those are always um scope of course. What what are you actually doing or what's what's the scope of, of the, the task at hand or the scope of your job uh, or the scope of your department? Um, depending on your role, you need to understand what the scope is. Um but then there's HR issues, there's procurement, um, and there's there's the day-to-day execution then of all of those things. Communications is something that's very important. Often communications is something that can be, um, that can create a lot of problems that had the communications been better, those problems wouldn't exist. Um, And communications, of course, is a two-way street. Um, so keeping in mind to keep people informed of what you're doing, but to also ask others, you know, what they're doing and how they're getting on and et cetera. and to, to have those conversations and um, uh, conversations or verbal communication is often clearer than you know uh, email which can be um, uh, use up a lot of people's time and, and still not be very clear.
0: Would you say um, quite a lot? Which is, and you said it's notably, it's it's paramount that you need good communication skills now, especially dealing with people. It's the softer skills. What would you say is probably, say, a couple of key strengths that you would, you probably, you need to have to be in a role like yours right now. Like, what would you say? Like, obviously, you might have looked at things differently, like you said in the past, because it was all technical. But what would you say is probably two key things you would. You know, you would generally say you need to have them to, you know, to be in a position of the director of CSA within a you mm. know, within an end user.
1: That's a, that's a good question, Stuart. I would say that um, positivity um, and and energy, uh, I think, are two key um, traits as a as a leader and a, as a manager. Because again, um, particularly in construction at the moment, things are extremely busy. Um, and um, the workload, you know, looking ahead, the workload is, 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 is large, which is great. It's fantastic. Um, but you, you do need to keep people um, energized um, and, and to ensure that people uh, don't um, get overwhelmed. Because if the energy is there and um, there's a positive attitude to the work and the workload and working as a team and spreading the load, That will bring everybody along. And if everybody is energized, people will be more focused uh, and um, dedicated to getting through that workload together and and lean on each other a lot.
0: What do you think, what are the biggest challenges do you think the industry is facing right now?
1: A skills shortage uh, is is definitely the biggest uh, challenge um, that we have. There is a skills shortage across all of the disciplines in um, engineering and architecture at at the moment. Uh, I don't know if that's stemming from the global crisis that we had in 2008-09. Subsequent to during that time, many, many people left construction and changed jobs and haven't gone back into construction and engineering and architecture in particular. Um, and I think because when there's a recession like that and it was the construction industry that was very badly hit, you, you, you don't have as many um, students entering college, so therefore you don't have the graduates coming out at the other end. So even though the global recession is uh, 2009, 2010, um, the effects of that, I think, are still being felt um, in construction and engineering. So skills yeah, Sorry, uh, so yeah, there's definitely a skills shortage, and and it's that experience because it takes a number of years to build up experience. So that global crisis has been um, has hit us. I think in three ways: one, people have left the industry; two, yeah. people have entered college, so you don't have the graduates and those that have entered subsequently are still graduates or young young engineers and architects that just don't have the experience yet because you know the time they haven't had the time to build up that um, experience so there's there's a triple a triple blow there i think in uh, engineering and architecture
0: and and sometimes uh, as well as yeah. it does take a certain amount of time just to obviously it's not always benchmarked over time sometimes you can get people that have been in the industry for five years that can do what somebody can do with 10 i don't always mean that but it does i do it does kind of say to become a professional i read the other day it takes ten thousand hours
1: right (laughs) that's that's very specific (laughs) yeah
0: very specific i worked it out to be roughly around about five years
1: think right yeah well that makes sense five years would add up so five years would make sense um and and of course everybody is different and everybody advances at a different pace and everybody has something different or unique to offer some people will be excellent at five after five years most people will be uh, around a similar development stage after five years and some will be maybe just they'll have some level of development but maybe a few more years would be a beneficial, but that's to be expected. We're not all the same. Um, I would say that um, in terms of experience as well, um, having a broad range of experience um, is also important. Like spend a couple of years um, spend a couple of years in your particular area and build up um, that expertise. But, but broaden the mind then and try and move into different areas. Like I said earlier, I started in, in housing, um, but then I, I changed companies and I, I went and I, I worked on commercial projects, on industrial projects, um, on railways um, and, and data centers, of course. Uh, I've worked on schools projects. Um, you know, the, the broad range of experience that I've uh, had the opportunity to work on has also been of great benefit um to, to me and to my career and again in broadening that uh, experience and expertise in different um areas you know
0: well, i was going to ask you that why obviously from the different industries you've worked in what do you think what are the key takeaways that you would say that you've that you've got from it rather than just say working in the uh, the farmer industry you know um for the last 15 years or whatever what what do you think from having that diverse background, because obviously each, indi- each it's all construction, but every industry runs differently. That's why I get asked for somebody specifically done commercial. They want commercial because it runs the same yeah. farmer. Um, how has it helped you?
1: Yeah. So I suppose that is the thing that um, every industry, even though it's all, it's all design and construction, each industry is different. Um, They're different in terms of um, the materials that one might use, uh, material selection and materials um, that can be used in a particular industry. They're different in terms of um, building layouts and functionality, how the building functions, how people move through the building, how people access that building, um, whether they're visitors or contractors. The whole security piece is very big in data centers, but not so big maybe in other industries schools of course is a different dynamic again because you're dealing with um, lots of young people and um, who need lots of um, space and light etc and um, when i talk about material selection like in the pharma industry there's a lot of materials that are very specific you know to to a pharmaceutical plant because of the whole chemical um uh, impacts etc that you you would need in that industry but you wouldn't need in other industries they'd be very expensive you know a stainless steel pipe would be very expensive in a house uh, but you'd have to have it in a pharmaceutical plant and um, but there's different types and selecting different uh, materials to suit different situations and um that you're, you're designing for um Railway lines and roadways are different again because they're a linear construction, uh, as opposed to a site which is a very specific site area with a more often than not with a building on it, and there's a lot of interaction and interconnection with the building. But for a, as I say, a railway or a roads project is very much a linear project, and it's a different uh, challenges again. So. Why, um,
0: why going back to, <clears throat> to explain all the differences how did it do you think it's helped you a specific way or is it just about diversifying your knowledge
1: i think it diversifies the knowledge but i think it also um as i said it, it opens your mind and um, allows you to think more laterally or to look at things differently or to look at a problem differently or you'll be able to recall well okay we came across this um this problem on such a such a project and this is what we did. Maybe we can apply that here, even though they're completely different projects, for instance. But uh, I think it just, um, I think it broadens the mind and allows you to think differently and to look at things differently.
0: Makes sense. Well, from obviously you said that the skills gap is the biggest challenge right now in the industry, right? How are you say for Microsoft, um, say tackling that problem? Like how, how, how are you seeing your team say tackling the skills gap
1: so i suppose as a as an employer or as a client uh, in construction um we tend to we tend to one i suppose a lot of our a lot of our work is carried out by consultants yeah. Um, yeah. so uh we would um you know we of course outline to our consultants what projects we need and how how many and scheduling, etc. so we can do some forecasting with them. That allows the um, consultants to um, build up towards that and to uh, increase their staffing levels or to source the right, um, right skill set, uh, depending on what kind of work is coming down the line. Um, as an employer or as a client the, in construction, we'd have people employed at various levels um, where we can, you know, um, take in from, you know, we take in interns um, and uh, bring them on through the industry. So there's a level of education in-house Um depending on the area that you're in, um, it can often be very experienced people that we'd be looking for. So because we're, um quite busy and we're scaling um at a high rate we would be more inclined at the moment in the design side towards um experienced people because we need people yeah. who can hit the ground running in order to scale the business but the construction side of course then um, is uh, very much um, uh, a range of, of people of different ages and skill sets and experience and expertise Using technology, of course, is is one of the key areas that we need to employ more and more technology to uh, counteract that uh, skills shortage. The more we can do with technology, then um, you know the, 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 the less um, reliant maybe we are on individual um, people. So, for instance, if you take um, and geographical information systems. If yeah. one is yeah. looking at a site, um, if I'm sitting here in Dublin and I was looking at a site in Spain, uh, you know, a, a geographical information system can can provide a lot of data about an area. Uh, I don't have to go to Spain to find that, or I don't have to have boots on the ground necessarily. So, especially in the early stages when you might be only doing, say, site selection or something, you There's know, a
0: lot of time. It, yeah. Be-
1: yeah, and and travel and expense. But if you go, if you pursue a site, then of course you have to visit, and of course the construction team have to be have to have boots underground. You, you still need people underground to build everything. There's, the technology isn't going to build it for us. We still need people there.
0: Maybe not now. Maybe. The way the way Elon Musk is talking about it, artificial intelligence—you you never know. <laughs> um, it, what do you think? Um, your career will look like in the next five years and how do you think you know the i suppose the industry will shape up but more specifically your role to begin with
1: um my role um i'll continue on in my role for probably another 12 months or so building um the csa csa stands for civil structural architectural um so i'm with microsoft two and a half years now and um um when i when i if our, for EMEA, which is uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Um, so when I um, when I joined Microsoft, there was um, one architect um, in this region. And then I joined, there was, an, I'm a civil engineer, so there was two of us in CSA. There's now um, 10 people working yeah. in CSA in EMEA, um, which, so, My job, I suppose, has been in building this department and and building up some processes and procedures around getting this department to work as efficiently as possible um, with the resources that we have and taking into account the number of projects um, that we um, have. And, of course, we have a huge support and a great partnership with all of our um, architectural and AE firms, our um, consultants, um is we can't do what we're doing without that partnership and that expertise. Um so in building all of that up then um at some point um I'll hand the reins over to the next um person to take it on and develop it further and put make it even more efficient. Um and um well after that we'll see where's the best place for me in in Microsoft but it it will be in Microsoft I plan on staying. <laughs> um with microsoft it's a great company to work for we've um, lots of great projects uh, on at the moment and lots of more great projects kicking off so i'm looking forward to the to continuing my current role in getting that um efficiency and development in the department uh, and then seeing where's my where's where can i support microsoft in in the next stage of my career
0: Final sort of question before we move on to sort of the, the lighter hearted um sort of quick fire questions, right? Obviously you've been in the industry um for quite a few years, right? And you've you've been through different positions, you're in a role now. Um what keeps you motivated? What's what are your motivations on a on a day to day basis?
1: Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm in the in the industry over thirty years, uh, Stuart. It's okay to say it. <laughs> I was telling a Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm really joking. Um, I I suppose I have huge drive. I have always had a huge drive. It's just, put in, I guess. You know, um, and that continues. That continues to to be there and continues to grow. I personally, I have a great interest in everything. You know, I'm, I, I studied civil engineering, but I have an interest in everything. I, I'm interested in the business. I'm interested in how business works. I'm interested in in, in learning more about management, learning more to be a better leader. And um, I'm interested in supporting others, you know, as I, you know, at the tail end of my working life, you know, seeing other, um, People coming along now and and thinking, well, is there anything I can do to assist or you know and help them to get to where they want to go quicker um, or better? Um, so there's lots of motivating factors, but I guess um, the motivation is probably inbuilt to begin with. I think
0: where's that growth mindset come from? Then where's it? Where's it come from? Is it you, you know there is so many people that I see that all follow the same i have got the same mindset that they do have things that motivate them, but they're generally just like, it's hard to say, you know, you obviously are doing this for your children and your family. You you, you do things 100% for that, but you also do it, a lot of people do it for just the basis of just being interested in things. And it's not just one thing. Like you said, it can be multiple different areas or anything and everything that you can sort of learn. Where does that come from? Does it, when did it start that you, became like that was you always like that was it
1: yeah i think it's an appetite for i think it's just an appetite for um achieving um it, it's 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 a yeah it's an appetite for achieving for constantly achieving something and constantly um working towards something but 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 achieving it because if you don't achieve it you could become demotivated i my earliest recollection of being very motivated was probably around 14 um coming up to the first state exams in ireland so we'd have two state exams uh, the first one when you'd be kind of 14 15 and at that point i decided i was going to college that was all i knew i didn't know what i was going to do then but uh, my motivation at that point was that i am going to go to college because that wouldn't have been um uh, going where where I grew up, um, and, and even in my secondary school, um, very few people would have gone to college in the first instance, you know, I would say in my secondary school, final year, again, 30 odd people in the class, I think, as I recollect, there was six or seven that went to college, so it wouldn't have been a common
0: minority.
1: Yeah, very, yeah, very much a minority, but I had I had made that decision at some point around 13 or 14. Um, and that was that's the first time I recollect being really driven to do something. And and of course, that meant studying for the next number of years to get to because our second state exam is when you're 17, 18. That's the one that decides what, what college course you get. So. Um, but yeah, it's about achievement. But I would also maybe say to younger people, um, it's good, Is you it's, it's very good to have that um, motivation and to have that drive to achieve. Um, be careful that you don't have a constant drive to achieve because you achieve one thing and then what's the next thing? And you're always working towards something and you're always trying to achieve. And you never really get there if you're not happy with Take time to be happy with what you have achieved. Such a, so a celebration!
0: It's such a balancing act because everything, everything <clears throat> in life seems to contradict. Because you work hard to get where you are, but you can't work too hard because then you become burnt <laughs> out. And you've got to be happy with where you are. But then, if you're happy, you, and it's a real, it takes. Yes. I, I know from my own personal experiences. Sometimes you have to. We've all been burnt out, and I think you need to sometimes until you know where the ceiling is you can't dial it back if you mm. well, for me that's what really worked for me is really going hitting the ceiling dialing it back 20% and then staying at that level and that was the easiest yeah. way to put it until you know you've hit the ceiling you don't know how hard you're working and i think that mm. that and and obviously from 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 what you've just said i think for, because you was achieving from an early age as well i think that it's a habit more than anything Right, so yeah. when you create the achieving habit, it, it you start that you start the motivation because I wasn't always motivated. I, I, there was traits of it there, but I remember getting a certain opportunity, getting a certain job, and then achieving, and it becomes a bit like a it's a habit, but it be, it's it's a bit like an addiction. You like the you like mm-hmm. the feeling, the endorphins you get from you know succeeding and maybe weathering a storm that you didn't really like and then it, and it feels good. So it's, yeah, it's really useful information that you've just provided for, for people kind of listening that, you know, that are probably going through similar situations that might want to pack it in or, you know, that, that are looking to how they, how they can get to a position of, you know, where where they want to be. So, yeah, um, no, absolutely.
1: And, And it probably goes back as well to a point you made it earlier, um, yourself there, um, Stuart, in terms of, um, knowing how much is is enough and 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 trying to get that balance and when you have kind of reached a level just you know take a step back because there's going to be more there's always more there's always more that can be done there's always more that could be done maybe there's people around you that want you to do more but you're only one person and you can only do so much and next week it will all be the same again and next month it will be all the same again so you have to find that balance
0: um yeah no i completely agree and i think that i i I especially used to let the days affect me um for example especially in the first 12 months of business the a good day a good day could leave me coming home in a good mood with the family a bad day could leave me coming home in a bad mood so it's very up and down and um not healthy at all so you're ultimately saying that your working day dictates how you feel in life, where you should be happy no matter what. And I think yeah. that, you, again, it's not easy to do that. We're all human beings. I'm not saying I walk around with a smile on my face after I've had the worst day in the world, but you kind of, it's the, in any way of putting it, it's all, it's the, it's the identification of what's going on. So you realize, so you're realizing what's happening. And then cool. you actually just trying to train your brain so you don't, Take as long to come back round. So that's kind of what happens now. Is I can be in a short mood, and then I think, just don't take this too seriously. Tomorrow will be a new day, and then you kind of come home and you reflect. But yeah, I think they're the kind of pieces of advice that you just. Again, I'm. I I keep thinking, God, I can't wait to tell my son and my daughter these things because I'm going to (laughs) make sure that they adapt quicker. But I don't think they'll listen. To be perfectly honest with you, and I think they'll go through. I think you just have to make your own mistakes sometimes as well because you have to feel it, don't you, yourself?
1: you do yeah that's the thing you can only advise so much but and we'll all only listen so much so yeah unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately your kids will uh same as everyone else's will have to um go through those and make make the mistakes and feel that discomfort and feel that um disappointment and and hopefully feel those uh those the, the ups and the downs but the, and feel the, the joys of achieving as well but feel the you know, the disappointment that maybe something hasn't gone wrong. Unfortunately, that's life, but as long as we're there to pick up the pieces and to <clears throat> continue to advise, um, that's the important um, piece, that they have that support. Uh, I think um, as you, going back there to what you said, Stuart, about, um, you know, good days and bad days and how you come away from work. And work is a big part of our lives, of course it is. It's a third of our lives. It's a third of our day every day. Um, mindfulness is something that a lot of people, you know, are, you know, there's a lot more talk about mindfulness. In fact, my my own son does mindfulness in school now. Uh, right. Except right. it wasn't even a word, I'm sure I never heard of it until a few no, years ago. And no. um, so th- I think that's something that uh, would be definitely worthwhile taking on board and trying my to do. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it's, um, I, I do a lot of breath work now. Um, something of a, i do i do a lot i obviously do a lot of um i do a lot of training um okay. different types of weight training and stuff and running but i do a lot of yoga which involves um a lot of breathing techniques um certain ways to to relax um i've cut caffeine out to be honest just okay. for the reason of it used to affect my thinking and mood and also my breathing pattern um and from cutting it out, I also realized I've got a ton of energy. I don't really flag it at three o'clock anymore. Um I'm, yeah, very, I'm very just constant. I used to wake up two coffees in the morning religiously. Um and now yeah, and now I just have I just have water and it I seem to yeah, and obviously the 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 breath work with the combination of removing the caffeine, because I always felt a bit jumpy. You know, I like i probably have two in the morning. and have another coffee maybe three o'clock when I felt tired. And then after five six o'clock. to trying to do the breath work sometimes it's a bit jumpy with the probably caffeine overdose a little bit um yeah but i've seen a massive improvement from breath work and just when you look at i had my where I had my apple also got my apple watch and i was watching after some exercise of seeing how much your heart rate can drop just by monitoring monitoring your your breath work and it's the only thing i don't know i was listening to something have you, have you ever heard of the whoop
1: no I haven't heard day, that
0: one day, it, it's basically it's an american company a lot of athletes wear it, it normal people wear it but it basically monitors your sleep and your heart rate very very uh, very i can't say the word variability um right. but it's when you um when you when you when you basically, when you're using, when you're using the whoop and you're, and obviously it promotes obviously your breathing techniques and how you can, Im, how you can improve everything. But yeah, you'll have to look into that separate before. Yeah, it's a really good, um, look, I, I completely get where you're coming from and it's definitely something that I would, you know, I'd recommend. So quick fire questions then. So <laughs> these are just to give some, to give an example of you, what you like outside of work. So what is your, what's your favourite film? Of all time? Uh, Connor. Connor. great film. Great <laughs> film. Favourite actor in that film?
1: Oh, the lead actor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. even think of his name now, but yeah. Jack? Uh... Um, no, it's gone. I can't think of it. Don't worry,
0: don't worry. Uh, Favourite sport? Tennis. Tennis, perfect. Favourite music genre?
1: Um, I like all music actually, that's one thing. Um we were at an opera actually a couple of weeks ago for the first time, which was <laughs> nice. Right. Um but yeah, no, any kind of um any kind of pop, eighties, nineties, even current current music. I yeah, I yeah, love all music to be honest.
0: You it to, to have one yeah. favourite.
1: Um probably would have been a big fan of um Celine Dion would have been probably one of the main ones for me.
0: She's come up twice today.
1: <laughs> if
0: you can have a copy with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Oh, Anybody in the world
1: they can be alive or they can be dead. <laughs> um gosh, I don't know. You've caught me on that one now. Um an historical figure. Uh no, sorry, Stuart. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: I'll come back to that one. You got You got to think if it's important. Yeah. That one. Uh, what's your favourite colour?
1: Yeah, uh, purple. Purple. Favourite meal? <laughs> um, favourite meal is Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner,
0: right? Okay. <laughs> Do you have pigs in blanket on there? Got what? Do you have pigs in blanket on your Christmas dinner?
1: Oh no, we don't do those. No, Um, (laughs) uh, a traditional Irish dinner would be the turkey, ham, um, sprouts, carrots, cauliflower, gravy, mashed potato, roast potato, and stuffing.
0: Pigs! You you need to get pigs in blanket on there because they're definitely the real deal. (laughs) I promise you. Um, What's the worst sport? What's the sport that you don't like playing or watching?
1: Um, I, I don't understand um, the, the bull running in, in Spain. <laughs> I don't see that. That's
0: a random one. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> I suppose boxing would be the other one. I, I don't, again, I don't understand people Yeah. punching punch the face right. off each other. Yeah.
0: Um, a TV job that you dislike the most?
1: oh any of those live um real life things like big brother and those kinds of things
0: yeah reality tv shows.
1: yeah reality tv that's it yeah that that's yeah
0: are you flicking past that
1: i don't watch any of this yeah, yeah i don't watch any of that whatsoever
0: what would you say the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you even in a work career like the most it could be from when you started to where you are now
1: um Oh gosh, Uh, there's been lots of them, but I... (laughs) I don't know.
0: One that you can still keep your job with after you tell it.
1: Um yeah i was uh i was three weeks in a, a, a company and we were on a night out and i had one or two drinks too many and i i advised my boss that i was going to have uh, my new manager after three weeks that i was going to have his job one day <laughs> 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 i managed to stay on there for uh 12 years afterwards but <laughs> i didn't get his job though <laughs> we're
0: not great at that. Um, I- if you um if you could nominate, right? So if you could nominate anybody else that you would like to hear their story and you think they could add value to this podcast, who would you like to see on here next? Just one person that you have to name. You don't have to know them, it can be just somebody that you 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 see in the industry and you like the way that they look or talk or you'd want to hear more about them. <clears throat>
1: um I'm sure there's lots of people that um would be very beneficial to chat with um Stuart. Um
0: you can only give one that you would like
1: to Maybe you could chat to uh, Elon Musk, he's creating lots of controversy at the moment. <laughs> Try and understand where he's come from and what his drivers are. <laughs> I would love to
0: speak to Elon Musk. We, we I'm actually currently, currently doing work at Tesla at the moment in Berlin actually. However, I don't think, I don't think we can get close to Elon. So who do you think is somebody <laughs> in the construction industry that you would you would like to listen to? It would be a it'd be a good story.
1: Hmm. Um well maybe um Tom McFarlane. he's the head of CIF in Ireland um he's got kind of a long background and uh has a lot of um industry knowledge and insights would be Perfect. to Perfect. chat to.
0: okay brilliant well um look i really appreciate your time um i think yeah it's been a great conversation i think some of the some of the points that you've covered have been excellent and i think yeah the listeners will love it and you've definitely inspired a lot of people so thanks for your time and uh, yeah look forward to catching up soon
1: no thank you stuart for the opportunity nice to talk to you take care. take care
0: cheers thanks for listening to the leaders in construction podcast with me stuart wallace i hope this episode has inspired you in more ways than one until next time